Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, God is a liar. You will not die. God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you will be as God's knowing good and evil. He doesn't want any competition. So he's keeping something good from you. And so today for a few minutes, I want to preach on this subject. Surrender to the Savior, not to the snake. Surrender to the Savior, not to the snake. God bless you. You may be seated. I would like to point out, first of all, that the serpent is a garden snake. Snakes can be not only in fields, they can also be in gardens. Beautiful places that you think are safe and that you enjoy are also inhabited by snakes. I hate snakes. Snakes are sneaky. Snakes live near, these are a few bullet points. Snakes live near forbidden fruit. Can I get an amen? So when you go near places that God has told you not to go, know that the snake is waiting to talk to you. The snake will question your knowledge of the word of God. The snake lies. The snake promises what he can't deliver. And finally, the snake appeals to your senses and even to your pride. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world will pass away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Two lusts and one pride. The lust of your flesh and the lust of what you see with your eyes. And then your pride, and all of them were present when Satan tempted Adam and Eve. They looked at the fruit. They heard what he said. They thought that they could be something that they were not. And they bought the lies. This war did not start in the Garden of Eden. This war started in heaven. Even God had a church split. Not everybody that comes into the body of Christ, I am excluding the Isaacs today, but not everybody that comes into the body of Christ will remain in the body of Christ. Not everybody that looks good and talks good and smells good is good 
Some will leave, some will not finish this course. It's kind of like a baseball game. You can start running the bases and even though you're heading for home, you need to end up safe or you'll end up out. We call it saved. I want to be safe. I don't want to be out. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and because of the pride of life. But this war started in heaven, and it was even referred to in the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 7. Let me read it to you as a historical account. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there found place anymore in heaven. That's why the Bible teaches us, give no place. There's no place in heaven for Satan and there should be no place for him in your life as well. And that great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Remember this as a history lesson. God is greater than Satan. And although he was able to influence one third of the congregation, there are still two thirds that are faithful. So if God is greater than Satan and he has twice as many angels as Satan has, Who do you think is going to win this battle in the long run? You need to get on the winning side and surrender to the Savior and not to the snake because he's going to lose again and he's going to lose in finality. Verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has but a short time. He's ratcheting up, folks. That lets you know that the time is becoming shorter and shorter. So the war that was once in heaven has now come to the earth. And the war that came to the earth now attacks my members. You see, the war is in my members. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from those fleshly lusts which war against your soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. There's a war in my members. I wear flesh. I am subject to pride, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, and so are you. It's in your fleshly members. The war is in our members, but the war must never be with our members. Boy, that is a revelation. You didn't catch it right away. The war that's in your members should never spread to your members. You and God are going to have to work out what's going on in here. But you can't take it out on the other members. Can somebody say amen? Amen. The war is in your members, not with your members. So I have two choices. 
I can either surrender to a savior or I can surrender to a snake. I will be a servant to one or the other as I talked to you about last week. Romans chapter six and verse 17 says, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. We have switched sides. We are no longer serving sin. We are not the devil's allies. We are his enemies. And the war ends in our life when we surrender to the victor and cease being the victim. We've seen some world wars in our time. World War I, World War II. We've seen conflict. And whenever there's a war, there's a victor and there's the defeated. Defeated. And I'm gonna explain a, a very basic principle that applies spiritually. The victor gets to dictate to the defeated terms of surrender. When the defeated has had enough, he puts up a white flag as a symbol of, hey, I've had enough. I surrender. Is there anybody in the house today that has ever lifted the white flags of surrender and said, hey, I've had enough. I've been boss, I've been lord of my life, I've messed up, I admit I'm wrong, I surrender. At that point, the victor comes to the one that raised the flag and said, you've had enough? Okay, these are the terms of surrender. You will do this, 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 and this, or we will continue fighting. In our case, hear me now, this is the most important part of this message. In our case, the most important thing that we can understand is that we have got to accept terms from God of unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender. That means I don't own anything anymore. I am at your complete mercy. I do exactly what you tell me to do when you tell me to do it the first time. I am your servant. You are my king. I surrender. Too many people think that they can tell God what the terms of surrender will be. And they can't. They're deceiving themselves. Let me give you this for your consideration. Wherever in the scripture you see the terms Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior in the same verse, it will never have Savior before Lord. Never. Because you can't have a Savior until you first have a Lord. That's unconditional surrender. And even Jesus was amazed at some people. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? You don't do the things that I say. 
You haven't surrendered? You think you can dictate terms to me? Then the war will go on. I'm so glad for the opportunity that we have to come to an altar of repentance and say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender everything. I surrender my life. I surrender my marriage. I surrender my family. I surrender my wealth. I surrender my home. I surrender everything. It's all yours. Do with it what you want. And you know what happens oftentimes? When we do that, God says, okay, I'll accept that. I'll let you keep your house. I'll let you keep your car. I'll bless your wealth. I'll bless your marriage. I'll bless your family. Why? Because you unconditionally surrendered it to God. You can only, listen, you can only keep what you give away. He who saves his life will lose it. And he who loses his life, for my sake, will find it. But you have to give it away in order to keep it. It's the same with forgiveness. How many of you feel you still need forgiveness? Do you know that the day that you stop forgiving is the day that you stop being forgiven? Because you can only keep forgiveness if you give it away. If you stop giving it away, where did you get that from? Well, Jesus said it. That famous Lord's Prayer that we refer to, if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. If you stop forgiving, you stop being forgiven. That's part of the surrender process. What do you want, God? Well, here's a couple of examples. Romans 12, one and three, God wants me to unconditionally surrender my body. Did you know that? I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your, not your spirit. I want your body. I want it to be a living sacrifice. I want your body to be holy and acceptable unto God. This is only reasonable. These are the terms that we've agreed on as me being your Lord. And I don't want you to be conformed to this world, but I want you to be transformed by the renewing. Now I want your mind, the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God wants it all. And he won't take less. And God gave it all. And he would have never given less. God wants my love. He wants my body, but he wants my love too. Jesus said unto them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. The first com- this is the first commandment, the second like unto it. You shall love your neighbor on, as yourself. On these hang, uh, hang all the law and the prophets. He wants your love. He wants your talents. Whatever talents you have. He wants them. He wants everything that you value. Let me share this story with you briefly. 
Genesis chapter 22. While you're turning there, let me just set the stage for you. Abraham had to wait at least 25 years from the age of 75 to 100 for the promised son that God gave him. And after he finally had that son and got to know that son and love that son and and raised that boy up, at the age of 25, and at the age of 125 for Abraham, he was told to take Isaac. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, your only son that you love, take him to a place that I'll tell you of, and I want you to offer him there as a sacrifice unto me. That's a tough one. I I am blessed to have a son. And my son's not here so I can talk about him today. My son is 25 years younger than I am. What a blessing it is to have a son 25 years younger than you, especially when you want to go deer hunting and somebody needs to climb up a tree and set up a stand, haul all that gear. If you're blessed to shoot a deer, he'll come and help you drag it out. and He'll come over to the house and help you with chores and things. Isn't it great to have somebody younger than you when you get older that'll help you out? And all these years that I've had to develop my relationship with both my daughter and my son, they become so precious to you. Remember how many times I've told you the most valuable thing in life is relationships? Well, God comes to Abraham and he says, I've seen the way you treat that boy. I know how much you love that boy. Take him and sacrifice him to me. See, because God will test us. You gotta hear this now. God will test us on anything that we could love more than him. We can't fall in love with the creation without first falling in love with the creator. We shouldn't take the blessings that God gives us and put them before our relationship with him. If we do, God will test us. Say, are you willing to give that to me? And the thing that we fear, we'll also be tested on that too. That's why God allowed Job to be tested. Job said, the thing I feared most has come upon me. God's gonna help you to face your fears. It's not gonna be easy, but he's gonna be with you, and he's gonna challenge you on anything that can come before him. And do you know what Abraham did? Abraham took that boy, and there's no record that he even mentioned this to Sarah. No record that he said anything to Sarah. Oh boy, you'll never guess what God asked. Never said it. He takes this boy and a few of his servants with him and they get to the place and it's a mountain called Moriah and and Abraham stands up and says, my son and I are going up this mountain to worship and then we're gonna return again unto you. Worship involves sacrifice. You see, you can give an offering of praise but worship will require a sacrifice. Thanks to all of you who have been so faithful in supporting this church and heart for the house. And a lot of times, it's a sacrifice. And there are financial sacrifices we need to make as well. 
Okay, so back to this story. He said, we're gonna go up this mountain, we're gonna worship God, and then we're gonna come back to you. Do you know why Abraham didn't say, we're gonna go to the top of this mountain and praise God? Because praise comes because of what we have received from God and we think of as a blessing. We praise God for that. But worship, as I said earlier, is something you can do even when things aren't going your way. He's still Lord, he's still God. He's still the savior. He's still the lover of your soul, even when things aren't going good for you. And so you can still worship even when you can't praise. So if you get down to verse 11, Genesis 22 and 11, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of, Abraham, uh, of heaven and said unto him, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I, verse 12. Well, I'll quote it to you. He said, lay not your hand on the lad. Don't do it, here it is. Neither do thou any harm. For now, now I know. Now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. God is gonna test us as to whether or not he's really the savior and Lord of our lives. And let me give you one more example. Mark chapter 10. This is the story of what we call the rich young ruler. Now, before I read you this story, let me tell you this is what everybody wants to be. They want to be rich. I haven't heard too many people say, boy, I'm sure glad I'm getting old. But people like being young, and they like having authority. He was a ruler. And beside all that, he was righteous. He was righteous. So watch this illustration that Jesus gives us, this encounter. When he was gone forth into the way, Mark 10, 17, there came one, here, listen to the description, he's running toward Jesus, and he kneels down to him, and he says to him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why do you call me good? There's none good, but one, that is God. You don't, you don't get it. Thou knowest the commandments. Don't commit adultery, kill, steal, bear false witness, defraud, and honor your father and mother. And he said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. I'm righteous. I have the other three things, but I've got righteousness too. And Jesus beholding him, Loved him. Loved him. But then he said, there's one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatsoever you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come take up your cross and follow me. He was sad at the saying and he went away grieved for he had great possessions. What was it that caused him not to be able to walk his wealth. His surrender level 
had not reached his wealth. He was not going to allow that to be touched. That's mine. Where in the scripture, in a commandment or a principle, does it say that we must sell everything we have and give it to the poor if we want to follow Jesus? It is a requirement of every disciple. It's not there. But the Lord knew the one weakness that this guy had, and he tested him on it. If you really, since you've practiced obeying the commandments, and if your life is so blessed, and you can acknowledge me, then if I ask you for this one thing, will you give it to me? He didn't ask it for himself. Jesus didn't say, give me all your wealth. He said, distribute your wealth. Give it to people that haven't earned it, but they need it. Then, you'll be wealthy where it really matters. You'll be wealthy in heaven, and and then come and follow me. Come on, join my group. But it was the one thing. What's your one thing? If the Lord stood before you today, what is the one thing that you'd have trouble surrendering to God? What is it? And it's different for different people. It's not any one thing. But you will be tested on it. And you need to surrender to the Savior. Otherwise, the snake is going to get it. The snake will get your wealth. The snake will get your health. The snake will get your possessions because he comes to steal, to kill. See, people today, it's, it's a sad thing in Christianity that too many people are shopping for a church that fits their commitment level. What does it take to be a Christian? You need to visit the cross. That's where the Christ gave his life for you. You want to be a Christian? It cost him everything, and you must be willing to give the same. Whatever he asks. What's your surrender level? What's your commitment level? And here's another question I'd like you to consider Do you think that God will conform to your image? When God created man, he said, let us make man in our image. And we thought that that meant a human form. Oh, I think it it meant much more than that. You may, as as a man or a woman, you may have a physical form as a human being that was patterned after the image that Christ would one day wear. But it was more than that. He intended for his image to be in you as well. And for you to become godlike rather than lustful and prideful and even evil. That's why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we can't do this by ourselves but God can't fill what's already full. The the vessel needs to be emptied. There needs to be a surrender, a washing 
and then a filling of God's spirit so that we can be victorious over all snakes. Let me give you this in a wrap-up. Let me show you how the Savior conquers the snake. Revelations 19. I saw heaven open. Behold, there was a white horse. He that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Do not misinterpret the humility of our Christ and see it as a sign of weakness because he will come with strength and judgment and with wrath. But in the meantime, the Savior's blood is the only antidote to snake bites. Out in western Wisconsin, I know of at least one hospital that has on its, in its hospital the antidote for rattlesnake bites because there are rattlesnakes out in the Viroqua Viola area. The blood takes care of snake bites. It is the antidote. So I'm going to read a verse of scripture to you and wrap this up. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, the one thing which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here's who we should be looking to. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand in the throne of God. We need to look to Jesus, and we need to put down our sin. We need to surrender to the Savior, and not to the snake. Will you stand with me, please? I have plagiarized a prayer that I'm gonna use for the end of this message. And if anywhere in this prayer you can find an amen, you're certainly welcome to use it. I even left some copies if you're interested because I want you to know how to talk to a snake. And so I entitled this, How to Talk to a Snake. Satan, devil, Lucifer, Whatever you're called, your name represents destruction, death, and disease. You kill, destroy, maim, wound, hurt, murder, and slaughter. You are heartless, soulless, without love, mercy, or kindness. Your name represents deceit, deception, and dishonesty. You are a con, a liar, a cheat, a counterfeiter.
You are a fraud, a fake, a pretender, and a phony. You are the propagator of pain and all poison. And hear this. You don't scare me. You're not the God of me. You're not the Lord of me. You have no authority in my life except by my permission. You can't kill, hurt, or destroy the eternal part of me because I belong to Jesus. He's my redeemer, my rescuer, my restorer, my savior. He is my Lord by my choice. I choose him. I reject you and everything about you. And as for this Jesus, I trust him. I love him. I love his will. I love his ways. I love his truth. I love his doctrine. I love his holiness. I'm confident in his love. Because his love never fails and it never ends. And it is forever as promised. And in the name of Jesus, there is peace and light and love and joy. And Jesus has all power, all dominion. And you never get the final say. So I command your wall of darkness to divide and to crumble. I command your resistance to end time harvest to desist and discontinue. I release the prevailing power of prayer and praise and faith and fasting of God's covenant children to wreak havoc in the deepest bowels of every dimension of hell's domain. May the angels of Almighty God, energized by the delight of God's people, rise to battle, inflict maximum damage on the devil's domain. I command your threat, your intention, your strategy to return on your own head. I command dissension and discord to arise among your own ranks. Let there be division, dispute, disharmony, throughout the halls of hell's legions. You have with your arrogance and malice overstepped your boundaries and you will be brought into account. Not later, but now for your miscalculated transgression. And Jesus, you are the God of power and strength. I rest in and I receive today your power and your strength, your love, and your mercy. Summon your power, O oh God. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org. At